It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Jason Breifel. Today I'm joined in the studio by Greg Stanford, Director of Government and Public Affairs for the Federal Managers Association, and Alan LePanton, Legislative Counsel for the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, NARF, and also Chairman of the Federal Postal Coalition, a coalition of employee groups uh, on the labor and management side for both the uh, civilian workforce and the, the postal workforce. Um, Greg uh, and Alan and I will be talking this morning about the uh, OPM hack, of course, the latest news that was broken yesterday, but also taking a big picture uh, look at where we are in the 114th Congress, uh, six, seven months into their their term. What have they been up to so far, and and what do we expect to uh, see um, going on going forth in the year? Um, Before we dive into our conversation, I'd like to remind our listeners that Fed Talk is brought to you by Long-Term Care Partners. Long-Term Care administers the Office of Personnel Management-sponsored Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. Thank you so much, uh, Greg and Alan, for being here with me this morning. Thanks for having us, Jason. Yeah, good to be here. Um, great. Well, you know, I think we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll postpone diving into the, uh, the OPM conversation uh, because I know that uh, it's been covered a lot um, far and wide so far, but uh, is, is clearly a, uh, a cause of concern for, for the employee groups that, that you represent and in the uh, um, broader workforce community. But uh, I think I'd like to start off our conversation just uh, giving a kind of a, an assessment of where we are in, in the new Congress. Um, folks, um, both chambers are now under Republican control, and, and folks had, had suspected that that may um, provide a different dynamic on the Hill so far. Uh, wh- what have you seen so far in, in, in the first six months of this year here in, the, in this legislative session? Well, one of the things that we hadn't seen in quite some time is a budget blueprint, a budget resolution that the House and Senate were able to agree to uh, with Republican leadership in both the House and Senate. You know, it wasn't that difficult. The House was pretty explicit as far as cuts in federal employee and retiree benefits. You know, everything from FEHBP, the health insurance plan, to uh, something as obscure as a cut in the rate on the G fund in the thrift savings plan, which we understand in the last 24 hours might be a live issue that we might have to deal with. But there were over $200 billion in cuts to feds. You know, we're usually the low-hanging fruit. Uh, this time we're being made into some sort of a smoothie, I'm afraid. On, and, you know, where where do we stand on, on, on those pieces right now? Are those concerns still in the air? And, and this, this new piece about the, the highway fund and, and the G fund sounds... Uh, is news to me. The, the big danger, I think, and Greg, you'll agree, I would imagine, was the reconciliation process. Mm-hmm. There was a vehicle available to do these $200 billion in cuts, and after the conference report was filed between the House and Senate, they agreed to limit it to the repeal of Obamacare and did not reconcile the traditional civil service committees to achieve these savings. But one committee that was left in the fray was the House Committee on Education and the Workforce, and they did have a hearing on changes in the Federal Employees' Compensation Act and FECA and have called for you know changes in that program to kick people off the FICA rolls when they turn retirement age and cut their benefits severely. 
and save millions of dollars in the process. We're concerned that that could happen as part of the reconciliation process. I think the president has already said that he would veto a bill that would repeal Obamacare, that the Supreme Court has spoken as the law of the land. But that is something that's a live issue. The rest of those issues, the $200 billion in cuts, as I say, the only one that we hear is still alive, and we could talk about that more, is this thrift savings plan wacky idea. Great. Yeah, let's 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 circle back around to that uh, that that concept uh, in a bit because uh, I think it, it'll be interesting to see which of these proposals the president would actually uh, sign if they come across his desk. But uh, I'd like to to hear from Greg and and hear what you've been uh, kind of seeing and experiencing and looking out for so far in this this session. Yeah, well, I certainly echo what uh, what Alan has said so far. You know, I think that after the elections last November, there was. Um, I don't know if concern, but uh, people had a had a real close eye on how the legislative environment was going to be with um, the uh, <clears throat> the new control of leadership in in House and Senate. And you know we've been uh, pleased overall. I'd I'd say that you know there there were there were a lot of concerns I think from the the federal community, but we've been pleased overall with. Um, Chairman Chaffetz, uh, Subcommittee Chairman Meadows uh, has been. Um, you know, we, we don't agree with them on every single issue by by any means, but they've been uh, they've been fair. They've listened to our concerns on the Senate side. Uh, Chairman Lankford and Ranking Member Heitkamp have been great to work with. Um, our national president, uh, Patricia Niehaus, testified at uh, the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee uh, hearing uh, in May. And um, Mr. Lankford and, and Senator Heitkamp were, were great to work with on that and really seem committed to hearing a lot of different points of views on on the on these issues and uh, certainly we're pushing uh, managerial training uh, is, a, is a big issue for uh, the Federal Managers Association and um, and then obviously protecting pay and benefits as as Alan talked about the the concerns about the um, the house budget uh, blueprint we had tremendous concerns about that that included um, increases to uh, pension contributions, which is uh, you know just a, a, a blanket tax on on federal employees, and you know that's a concern that's been around for for a long time. But you know it's in their the budget blueprint, and it's there. They they called it the vision for the future, and we certainly don't agree with that vision. We think that's a, a dystopian vision. Tad short-sighted, you might say. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'd agree with Greg that, that Chairman Chaffetz, I know that Chairman Issa, former Chairman Issa, listens to this program every week. Uh, is it on weekly? No. But uh, Chairman, Chairman Chaffetz has been a, a vast improvement. I think he's much more sympathetic to the plight and, and care and feeding of feds. Uh, it's been a productive relationship that we all have had. Uh, his staff, Jennifer Hemingway, especially working with the subcommittee. Jennifer, you get that? Um, has been, you know, open to our policy. And while we might not agree on everything, at least the communication is there. And that's critically important. I think that's one thing we've, we've probably learned in the first six months. you got to be vigilant. You can't assume that everybody or anybody knows everything or anything. And you have to educate constantly. And that includes our members, but especially members and staff on the Hill. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, in, in another role, I'm uh, in, in the same shoes as, as the two of you, uh, representing the Senior Executives Association and the Professional Managers Association. And uh, I, I, I also have noticed a, a somewhat different uh, kind of perspective on the Hill. It seems like we've slightly moved past the period of, of outright 100% Fed bashing just for pure blood sport. And there seems to be some, some more um, uh, 
well thought out policy conversations going on. Um, the new chairman for the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, um, Senator Johnson, appears to be um, intent on focusing on kind of bipartisan bills um, re- as they relate to the workforce at the moment um, and, and isn't having as many uh, contentious conversations, although uh, I'm sure we may see some, some proposals coming out of either the House or the Senate um, sometime in the next few months or, or in this session that, that might be cause for concern for the workforce. But uh, at least at the moment, it's, it, it does seem like there's a, a less, uh, less of an all-out war on, on feds. And I think one of our concerns going in uh, was losing senior members, bipartisan members, Frank Wolf and Jim Moran, that you know we'd have this void that we'd have to fill. We wouldn't have our defenders out there. It's been refreshing. We've had uh, outreach by both Congressman Beyer and uh, Congresswoman Comstock who chairs the subcommittee on the science committee that did hold a hearing this week on the data breach. Uh, they've been really great about contacting the community to ask where we stand on things before they go forward. And that kind of relationship and communication, I think, is critical to everything we do because it could have a great leverage point, uh, especially to fight fires that pop up every so often. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and building on that, you know, I think one of the concerns that, that we have had and, and continue to have is the, the slippery slope that, um, of turning the, uh, the federal workforce and civil servants into at-will um, positions and, you know, the actions that, that the House, um, that the Congress took uh, last summer uh, regarding uh, senior executives at, uh, at the VA and the, the strong concerns of um, extending those, um, uh, th- those issues and, and, and applying them to not just the senior executives at VA, but all federal employees and the concerns of taking away um, and and turning these employees into at will positions and kind of going back to a spoil system of, of the 1800s. That's that's a, an ongoing concern. But as Alan said, we have this uh, this communication and uh, an open door to express those concerns and hopefully that education of why this is a bad idea. Hopefully that'll resonate and uh, we can prevent that. People do forget why we do have a merit system in place. And it is to protect against that spoil system. And it also points up the value of unions and collective you know, negotiations on workplace issues. Absolutely. And, and as you both mentioned, there are, there are a, new, a lot of new members of Congress, uh, especially in the House, as there are every year. There's, there's a lot of new members in, in leadership positions. And, and that's always something that's important for, for not only our groups, but also all of our listeners who, who, uh, who have their representatives of their own to remember that sometimes their representatives don't understand the, uh, the rules of the road and, and why things are the way they are. And uh, that it's important not only for, for all the employee organizations to act as advocates for employees, but for um, employees to, to act for advocates as themselves in, in terms of uh, contacting their members. And, and not unrelated, you know, before you move on, I know that members of Congress are, I think, more sympathetic about things like the data breach or even the cuts in health insurance and whatnot because their own employees have gotten these notices about their sensitive information being exposed and realize that the cuts that they would have in their health insurance will affect them directly as well. Um, I think probably one of the most compelling testimonies was FBI Director Comey, you know, talked about the fact that his five kids' information, his extended family, you know, all this was out there when you talked about the $21 million. The breadth and scope of that is just uh, unheard of, unprecedented. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll turn to, to those big, uh, big subjects after our, our first break here. We're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio. 1500 AM. We'll continue discussion after a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. 
With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today we're featuring a discussion about Congress and uh, what's going on, on on the Hill with representatives from federal employee organizations, uh, Greg Stanford of the Federal Managers Association and Alan Lowe Patton of NARF and also the uh, current chairman of the Federal um, Postal Coalition. Uh, before the break, we were, we were talking about uh, several big topics that uh, have been uh, pending in Congress and uh, affecting the workforce. Um, including uh, pending budget resolutions that uh, have big uh, cuts for feds uh, and, uh, and other issues. Um, Greg had uh, mentioned some efforts to uh, um, scale back some workforce protections that were enacted last year uh, at the VA, and uh, there's legislation currently pending in, in the House that would uh, expand that authority to the, uh, the rest of the workforce. Uh, before we uh, dive into the, uh, the, the rest of our conversation, looking at big picture uh, approps and, and, of course, talking about the OPM hack, which we'll get to later, I wanted to kind of close the loop on, on, on those two conversations. And uh, I think we'll start with the, uh, the budget piece, um, Alan. Uh, you had mentioned that um, uh, many of the, the proposed 200-plus billion cuts um, from the uh, budget resolutions um, seem to have been tabled, perhaps, for the moment, but but we might uh, have seen a, a proposal to cut some somewhere thirty two billion from the uh, um, G fund. Um, yeah, when, when the House first acted on the budget, and we had those two hundred billion dollars in cuts, I think everybody's assumption was that we would have the run up to the August congressional recess as a big battle over reconciliation. And certainly, when in the conference they agreed to just move forward with Obamacare repeal, it limited the scope of what was going to happen. Now we're here in the last couple of days at the Highway Trust Fund extension, which has to be enacted by July 31st, may well include as one of the offsets to pay for it, this reduction in the rate of return on the G Fund. The G Fund is the you know, government uh, issue fund. It's the safest investment that I think significant amount of federal money, you know, feds are very cautious with their investments. The G Fund has tens of billions of dollars in it. Um, and we're talking about a rate of return that would be negligible uh, to the point where you might be better off putting your money in a pillowcase. <laughs> now, if, if feds take that money, which has been used by the Secretary of the Treasury, they have tapped the G Fund money when the public debt limit has lapsed and they need to pay the government's bills. They've borrowed it under federal law. We are made whole at the end of that time. But if you cut the rate of return to next to nothing, feds are going to move their money and the Treasury Secretary won't have that ability. But you also want to encourage savings towards retirement. Um, we know that the FERS defined benefit is not enough, even combined with Social Security, and that G fund or C fund or F fund or you know, the other funds available through the SIF savings plan are conscious decisions about investments. Uh, to take a cheap shot and take $32 billion or upwards of $32 billion out of the pockets of feds who are trying to plan for their future to pay for a short-term highway bill I think is uh, short-sighted again. Absolutely. It's nothing short of astonishing. I mean, f feds are used to getting thrown under the bus. This is the bus, the rail, <laughs> the cars, the trains. I mean, they're, they're throwing the book at us here. Well, and this is just uh, under the dark of night. It hasn't, the language hasn't been released. We just hear rumor of it. Um, and it really, it's a lousy way to run a 
So what 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 kind of actions might might uh, your 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 groups individually or or the coalition um, take as a whole? I know that uh, earlier in the spring the uh, coalition had uh, Fed Postal Coalition had sent a letter up to the to the leaders of the budget committees uh, expressing concerns about um, the reconciliation uh, directed cuts. Um, so so what 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 actions might you predict uh, well, you see out of? I, I think the specifics on that original reconciliation two hundred billion dollars the implications were so vast that it really got lost, the trees got lost in the forest there. And one of the things that seemed to have happened in that conference report is even though they weren't specific about where the cuts would come from, I think they were just so embarrassed by the magnitude of that G Fund proposal that it seemed to have fallen out of the conference agreement. Um, you know, what's, what ended up on the cutting room floor, we could well see action on as law. Uh, it really is a cheap way to pay for the highway bill that will have a lasting effect for the you know, rest of retirees' years. And the way that we're going to respond, I'm sure the coalition will do a letter. I know our letters are awaited on the Hill, that people won't act until they've heard from the Fed Postal Coalition. <laughs> um, but short of that, we want to make members aware. We have tried to let members of the, you know, Virginia New- and, and Maryland delegation, but there are 80% of Feds are outside the Washington area. And the kind of impacts that we have heard about, you know, in the data breach hearings, I think we need to, you know, take heed of that and let every member know about this potential uh, cut in Fed benefits. And that's what we plan to do in an information campaign. Um, that followed, I think, by a torchlight campaign. And <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see where we go from there. That, yeah. Well, and I to build on what Alan was saying, you know, I think the, the word of the day, short-sighted, is, you know, a, a really appropriate word to, um, <clears throat> to, to apply to a lot of these things of, the, the the attack on the G fund, some of the other proposals that have been out there of um, high three to a high five or an arbitrary cut, um, uh, 8.7% arbitrary cut for any federal employee making um, $100,000 or more. It's just arbitrary, short-sighted. And, you know, it's, it's some of the attrition bills of uh, replacing uh, for every three uh, workers that leave re- replaced with, with one. And, you know, if if people are concerned about customer service and uh, the mission being accomplished now with the current awful budgets that that uh, that we have and the current staffing, imagine what it's going to be when when you if, if you know, when and if you enact these attrition proposals. I did want to say that there ha- there have been some some shining lights in the, in the midst of this um, you know of, of all the concerns. It's not all doom and gloom, and I, I just wanted to point out a, a couple of things. Um, the Wounded Warrior Federal Leave Act that um, that um, a FMA member from our uh, uh, chapter in, in North Carolina brought that to us, and I was pleased that the entire Fed Postal Coalition uh, supported. You know that has moved forward and has been passed, and it's uh, it's moved forward as a bipartisan bill in both the House and the Senate. It's been, it's passed the committees of jurisdiction uh, unanimously in both uh, the the House and the Senate, and so we're we're thrilled with that and hopeful to to see that. It's you know we, what we think is the least we can do to uh, provide a little boost for. Uh, Disabled veterans who want to continue their service working for the for the federal government and continue uh, civil service. So we've been uh, happy with that. Um, FMA, uh, you know, speaking speaking for FMA here, we were uh, happy with um, the Competitive Service Act uh, being part of the uh, HISGAC markup last month, and also a bipartisan bill. And you know that would 
allow agencies to share their best qualified list with other agencies. And we think that would uh, help federal hiring be more effective and, and efficient. And so we're very supportive of that and happy that the committee moved on that. So there are bills and uh, certainly a lot of members that we've been working on. So it's it's not all doom and gloom, but it seems but, like we're playing a lot of defense. And Greg, if I could just for a minute get back to the gloom and doom. Um, <laughs> you know, the, these ideas in the budget, the $200 billion in cuts, you know, were, were not just green eye shade ideas. These were not just, you know, make the budget balance and we'll never enact them ideas. You know, feds who have been hired in the last several years are paying more towards retirement than the people who came before. And they're getting no greater retirement benefit. And one of the proposals that had been included in the budget resolution was to increase contributions to the level of parity and potentially even for existing feds to increase their rate of contribution. It's nothing more than a tax on federal employees towards their retirement, to finance their retirement. And that became law. And this you know, dumb idea about cutting the rate of return on the G fund mm-hmm. was so embarrassing that the conferees on the budget seemed to have abandoned it but I guess in the effort to find every scrape and every bottom of every barrel, we've gotten through the barrel to the bottom and beyond in this G-Fund cut. And I really think a public uh, public education campaign is, is warranted. I know that the Federal Retirement Thrift Savings Board has been vigilant about protecting as fiduciaries the fund and the interests of feds. And we need to do what we can because, you know, they're going to try to push through that highway bill. And I just don't want us to be part of the part of the. Absolutely Broken not. And, and I think the dynamic that that you present um, here, um, you know, between Greg, you know, there are these these kind of small beacons of hope, but but they're relatively minor tweaks around the edges of the civil service um, as compared to to some of these broad ideas that are contained in something like a budget resolution in terms of greater um, retirement contributions, um, less benefits, um, making it more difficult um, overall for the federal empl- uh, government to be a um, a place where folks would want to go work. Um, and uh, I think that in, in the big picture in terms of looking forward for, for the work that our government is doing, which is increasingly skills-based and high knowledge, um, those proposed changes present um, significant challenges going forward, uh, not the least of which is, is really uh, captured by the OPM hack. And uh, now we have an entire workforce and prospective workforce who, who might not have trust that the government is even able to, uh, to protect their, their information. And yet the folk who solve the problem will be feds. I mean, feds are talented. They're resourceful. I take no solace in the fact that the perpetrators of the hack may well have been somebody else's qualified civil servants. I'm not saying it was necessarily foreign nationals who were involved. But feds are going to solve the problem. Uh, You know, dedicated civil servants who are working towards the public good will be there at the end of the day to fix it. You know, working with the best and the brightest in the private sector as well. But you want the federal government to be a place where people really shine and rise to the occasion. And that, you know, as much as people are concerned about the personal injury that might come from the exposure of their data, I think feds first want government to work. And that's really why they're on the job. And they're going to be the ones to solve the problem. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a great point. You know, I, that's why I, I take satisfaction from, from my own job representing federal employees, um, because I too believe that, that the government has a role to play in our society, society and, and want to make it work as best as we can. And, uh, and I think that that's a, a goal that everyone uh, should share, whether you have uh, differences in opinion on uh, the size and scope of, of what that government may look like. I think everybody wants it to, uh, to work the best, to the best of its ability. But we'll, uh, we'll pick up our uh, conversation after our next break and, and dive into the, uh, the big OPM hack and, and, uh, and, and start unpicking uh, 
uh, unpacking that there. Um, you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio. Um, uh, we'll continue our conversation with uh, Greg and Alan after a word from our sponsor. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today I'm joined in the studio by Greg Stanford, the Director of Government Public Affairs for the Federal Managers Association, and Alan Lopatin, the Legislative Counsel for the for NARF, as well as the chairman of the Federal Postal Coalition, a coalition representing uh, upwards of 30 uh, postal and employee uh, labor and management groups, uh, representing some 5 million uh, citizens here. And uh, through that lens, we'll uh, dive into the uh, the big news in the federal space, uh, and that's the latest out of the Office of Personnel Management and the, the data that they, or the news that they broke yesterday on the uh, massive scope of the background investigations um, breach. Um, 21.5 million federal job applicants um, were affected. Um, uh, a small proportion of those, their um, spouses and, and beneficiaries, family members. And there's um, one out of every 15 Americans are part of the data breach. That, that's absolutely incredible. And, and that and, was at the top of the hour. And uh, indeed. And, and, you know, I think that we'll, we'll kind of get into that conversation of, uh, um, you know, it, now with this new news of, of the size and scope of this breach, do you, do you think that this will, will become a story that will, will, f- will finally hit the, the front pages uh, and not just here in the Beltway and, and those affecting the, uh, the workforce? I was uh, at an event earlier this week where uh, Chairman Chaffetz of the Oversight Committee was uh, had kind of uh, expressed some frustration in, in that uh, um, these hacks that that some security experts have called uh, akin to having our national security or intelligence crown jewels stolen um, wasn't a bigger story. Uh, now that we n- have this new news on on the massive implications um, in terms of uh, citizens, uh, one out of fifteen Americans affected. Um, how do you think the d- dynamic might change in terms of responses from employee groups, actions up on the hill, and uh, actions coming out of the administration? Well, I think it's made at the top of the nightly news. Uh, you know, we're getting much more play on this, and I think the implications, as you say, for national security are vast. Uh, you know, we have no idea of the scope. We know numbers now, but the potential implication and potential effect of that is is enormous. And you have folk who are working for the federal government in sensitive positions around the world um, who really, uh, their lives are put at jeopardy as a consequence of this action. I think... You know, we will speak about our members' uh, credit protection and identity theft indemnification, but we really have to be thinking larger than that. 
and the federal government has to act in an expeditious uh, and efficient and successful way to protect data and to protect the integrity of our systems uh, for national security reasons. And that takes not just the work of the federal government, but the work of people in the private sector, nonprofit sector, and everybody working together. I think we need to bring everyone together uh, at the call of the White House to respond to this in a comprehensive way. Yeah, and and following on that, you know, I was glad that the Fed Postal Coalition got together and and sent a letter to President Obama outlining uh, a lot of those concerns. You know, it's it's one thing. OPM is is taking a lot of steps, and they're announcing um, almost daily new steps that they're taking to shore up the systems. And you know, they took down the uh, equip system on. Um, security clearances temporarily to, to shore that up. And, and, and we think that was the right move because, you know, it would just be completely unacceptable to know there was some kind of a vulnerability and keep it, keep it live. But I think that's, we already did that. I think that's the concern that people have been exactly that people have been talking about for years, that this was some, something that um, inspectors, you know, the IGs at OPM have been talking about the, the IG at OPM has been talking about for years and years and years. And, the as Alan said, the crown jewels, the uh, cyber Pearl Harbor. I've heard uh, heard that phrase a, a whole lot in, the, in these hearings uh, on on the Hill, and so the the actions that OPM is taking to shore up the systems so that there isn't, you know, there aren't further breaches. Great, yes, we obviously have to do that. But then for the you know we're now talking about twenty two million plus, and the, I know there was a lot of talk about. And initially, the the first breach was a little over four million, and then there was eighteen million, and a, a whole lot of numbers that were in the press, and and there was a lot of concern of you know oh there's that's rumor and they don't know what they're talking about you know now we know concretely we're talking about a minimum of twenty two point one million people, and it's we you know we feel it's incumbent upon OPM and the federal government to make the you know make all of those people whole the men and women of um, that have been affected and so it's not just protecting for future breaches but as, as Alan was talking about the uh, offering protections because we feel the the protections I, I think they, they said 18 months for for the first breach of credit monitoring and uh, they're offering three years for people affected by the by the second breach the 21.5 of the background investigations and you know, it, it's not like the information is going to go away in three years. And yeah, the cow's out of the barn. Exactly. The burgers are on the grill. You know, we're already working on dessert here. I mean, we could play the parlor game of whether the OPM director should stay or go. And that really isn't, I don't know that we need to dwell on that. Um, we do need leadership. We do need guidance. We do need this concerted effort. And we do need someone to head that up. And whether that's the OPM director or someone further up the feeding chain, you know, we've really got to respond to this. Um, Absolutely. And, and I think that um, in the Federal Postal Coalition letter that, that was sent to the president that, that you both mentioned, um, one of the calls to the president was to form a, uh, a strike team, uh, much in the same way that he did for, for healthcare.gov, to, uh, to get in there and, uh, and assist the agency in bringing together not only the high-level stakeholders within the federal government, within um, the White House and, and agencies, but also tapping that, that private sector and industry talent um, to, to come together to, to work on this. And I think um, we'd have a lot more support for that sort of strike team if we don't call it healthcare.gov, you know, from the Hill. <laughs> uh, I think we'll get support. We've seen bipartisan, you know, unity on this issue uh, in both defining it and hopefully in trying to come up with solutions. 
Absolutely, and and I think you know it's it's interesting that that you that you say we should should gloss over the uh, the conversation of whether the the director should stay or go because uh, you know I, I kind of agree that that um, that conversation um, misses the bigger picture here in terms of well if 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 the director is gone who would be leading these efforts uh, because there are no other Senate confirmed leaders uh, at OPM at the moment and and then what does that mean in terms of uh, governance at the agency and, and who would and, take and the job right now too uh, yeah who could take that <laughs> I job put your name in Jason I just want to make sure that well well I appreciate that that confidence Alan I'm not would sure would you fill I'm, out the eighty six here please <laughs> not at the moment um, but and, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know I think we uh, obviously this is going to be a uh, an ongoing um, um, situation for if not just for this this session for 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 many years to come and um, you know we, we're starting to see legislation coming out of uh, members the the senators of the Maryland and Virginia delegation have um, proposed legislation that would provide a much more robust. Um, um, coverage and protection, including uh, lifetime coverage for for feds. Uh, what do you think the chances are on uh, legislation moving forward that would uh, enhance the protections uh, offered to the, to the workforce uh, outside of those already offered by the administration? I mean, whether it's legislative or done administratively, I think the chances are pretty good. You know, I'd hate to see it get caught up in a how do you fund it thing. You know, they've talked about it potentially being done as emergency spending or done as a supplemental or the like. Uh, I don't think that should be the issue. I think the the agreement is pretty consistent across party lines and across branches of the government that this has to happen. I, I would agree with that. And going back to something that Alan said uh, on, you know, in an earlier segment of, you know, it's it's personal for for these folks. It's you know, Alan used the the example of uh, the FBI director, and you know, but you have um, Senator Collins got a you know got a letter that her information. Um, Representative Comstock got a letter, and certainly, you know, I. Their their staffs, and so it's personal. It's real for them, and so I think they're going to take it that much more seriously because it impacts them. It's not just a hey, twenty one point five million. Oh, that's a big number. You know, it's it's the the legislators themselves, their staff, their brothers and sisters. That you know, their and and other family members, and so it, it's real and it's a real issue. So I think that there, I, I think Alan's right that there there's a good chance that. Legislation and FMA came out and, and endorsed the uh, the Cardin legislation uh, earlier this week. Um, we we feel the the lifetime protection is um, is much more in, in line with with what's with what's necessary to address the real situation. That eighteen months or three years is just woefully uh, insufficient. And the coalition, I think, if we're not already, we certainly will be four square behind us. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think you, you both make an interesting point in that uh, when, when members of Congress or their staff are, are personally affected by situations like this, the dynamic can sometimes be different. I know that uh, a few years ago after the passage of the Affordable Care Act with, with many staffers being pulled out of the uh, FEHB and, and put onto their, their state exchanges or the D.C. exchange, there was a lot of concern in the workforce community about well, now that, that they no longer have a vested interest because they're part of the program, um, what that might mean for it in the future. We haven't seen um, some of the cuts that some folks might have expected, although we did see some of those um, in the uh, the budget re resolution that, that, that Alan was uh, mentioning earlier. But but I do think that it pr pr provides an interesting uh, that dynamic uh, in terms of how the Hill is going to continue um, pressing on this issue. And while it may be a nuance, it, it is satisfying to know that the committee staff are still on FEHBP. And that's where the laws are written, but I wouldn't dwell on that either. <laughs>
Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, both of you had uh, had mentioned um, briefly, and, and I think this is a good segue into uh, what we'll talk about in, in the last segment of the show after a, a few more minutes here in terms of uh, funding for, for these uh, um, remediation, whether it's in terms of the services provided to the affected individuals um, from these these multiple breaches, or um, funding for agencies to to shore up and and modernize their their systems. Uh, I, I was just going to mention that, and I don't know that that's been as much a part of the hearings as you know the blame thing really has been, or the magnitude, whether the whether OPM or other agencies had the resources, you know, to fund the hardware or software or whatever it might take to get it done. You know, salary and expense accounts historically don't have a lot of uh, cheerleaders on the sidelines when they're looking to cut budgets. They cut travel and training and and hardware. And we want to be sure that the agencies are equipped, that the feds who are there to get the job done have the tools to get the job done, too. You know, not just funding this indemnification or credit protection, but, you know, funding the upkeep, mm-hmm. um, funding, putting in place the systems that take to work. Yeah, I think that's very real. I mean, this is where the fight is, you know, going forward in in, in 2015 and, and going forward, technology and cyber, this is where we need to uh, commit resources and uh, make sure that um, that agencies and departments are getting the, um, the the funding they need for for training. for And and that's that's something that we've talked about for for years. Um, but. The, the the training and, and the travel and and certainly that that hardware you know that's Congress needs to take a hard look at this and you know when um, going through the appropriations process and and outlining our priorities really needs to have a a, a strong con- uh, um, conversation on what are our priorities we, we we talk about this and and everybody agrees that it's you know that that it's awful but where where where's the funding and and how is that going to to play out to give the agencies uh, OPM and and the rest of the federal government the the tools they need to, um, to address address the the current breach and prevent future breaches. And in modest twenty twenty hindsight, who would have thought that if we hadn't created technical systems, you know, internet based systems, that if we had just left all of our stuff in that limestone mine in Boyers, Pennsylvania, we'd be <laughs> ahead of the curve. And right next to the vault for TRW, we'd have all of our stuff protected. So I think there's a future in the past. <laughs> that, that is, that is a, a very interesting point. And, and I know that there have been some some members who have suggested uh, taking the entire system back uh, back to the paper system, um, um, especially in light of, of OPM temporarily suspending the uh, EQIP background investigations processing system. And uh, not not sure about the, the feasibility of that move one way or another, but it, but it, it does present an, an interesting dynamic that, it, that appears that the Hill, after many years of neglecting cybersecurity, is finally starting to focus on in, in terms of uh, Internet of Things and, and the fact that everything is connected everywhere to the Internet and and that um, through those connections, there's there's vulnerabilities that, that have to be watched out for. And maybe just maybe human contact will have more value than it's had in recent years as people have to see each other and talk even on the phone instead of just sending it by emotionless email. <laughs> Imagine that. Well, we'll uh, we'll pick up this uh, this conversation and and talk about what's next uh, in terms of uh, appropriations, uh, future action we might see on on the OPM hack and uh, other budget concerns um, for the the rest of the uh, Congress after we take our last break and this word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. 
Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit LTC. FEDS.com today. That's LTCFEDS.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We're entering our last segment of the show, and I'm talking with uh, Greg Stanford, the Director of Government and Public Affairs for the Federal Managers Association, and Alan Lopatin, the Legislative Counsel for NARF and the Chairman of the Federal Postal Coalition. Um, before our last break, we were discussing the uh, the OPM hack and, and uh, shifting that conversation into the uh, discussion of uh, appropriations, um, not only for um, the fallout from the, the hack itself, uh, in terms of the services provided to uh, employees, but also um, assistance for for agencies and funding for agencies for um, upgrading their systems. Um, but I uh, wanted to talk a bigger picture um, about uh, appropriations and and what we might uh, expect to see in the throughout the rest of the year um, in this uh, term of Congress. Um, you know, I know that. Uh, just yesterday in the House, uh, their Homeland Security bill, um, they, they boosted some funding for DHS for cyber protection, about $80 million or so. But uh, I guess the question is, uh, in terms of the scope of, of these hacks, is, is, is that small bit of money uh, going to be sufficient? Do you think that, that Congress is, is fully going to come to grips with the, uh, the true scope of uh, helping the government tackle its uh, legacy IT systems and, and the uh, ability or lack thereof to, to defend them um, as a result of this OPM hack? And uh, uh, later, I'd like to talk about kind of what our predictions are for appropriations in general going forward. I think one of the problems is that that's part of the bigger picture of, you know, is there enough pie to go around to, to fund everything? Right now, it's a zero-sum game. Uh, the good thing is the budget resolution, you know, provided a stable blueprint for how committees can move ahead. The bad news is that the Appropriations Committee was allocated insufficient funds to keep the functions of government at the current level of what they're doing, yet alone you know, make improvements. Uh, I think if you've got some well-intentioned chairs of the two committees, you know, and Hal Rogers of Kentucky and Thad Cochran of Mississippi as the chair of the Appropriations Committee, I think their subcommittee chairs are not just playing politics. They're trying to write bills. They just don't have enough resources to go around, much as the federal agencies don't. And how that's going to you know, bear out, we'll see. Absolutely, and I think you know the one one word we haven't said yet this morning, but the uh, but the cloud that's kind of hanging over all of this is sequestration, still the law of the land, and you know you have uh, and I and I think that's going to color all of these discussions as we uh, approach the you know the the next uh, fiscal cliff and you know these these other uh, cliffs that we're rapidly approaching, and you know how is that going to play out, and how is sequestration going to impact everything, you know. Just about every member of Congress talks about how bad of an idea it was, and it was, you know, written in as you know being something that was so bad as, as a you know impetus for uh, for Congress to act and, and do something else. And here we are with sequestration, and it's still the law of the land. And I think that's going to be uh, a, a major drag on all of these uh, concerns. And so then you add in the the, the data breach and the. Um, the millions and and frankly the you know the billions of dollars that you know that it's going to take and and 
going back to something that Alan just talked about, it's, you know, that, that you have this pie and you have all of these things that we all agree needs need to get done. And how do you effectively uh, make those appropriations? And then with, with sequestration as you know, clouding the whole dialogue, uh, that just makes the job that much more tough. And add to that the fact that the president has already said he will veto bills for there not being enough funding in them mm-hmm. to fund the agencies and activities of government. Yeah, um, I'm sure you all read my report back in 1981 when I first started on the Hill about the cost of shutting down the government on November 23rd, 1981, when President Reagan vetoed a CR, a continuing resolution, and they shut the government down. And it actually cost $85 million for that one day of shutdown. Um, that was back in the old days. Right. Who knows what it would cost to shut the government down now? Well, we know that, that the cost for the 2013 shutdown was uh, upwards of $24 billion in, term, in between the costs uh, to the government itself as well as lost economic opportunity uh, and activity for the, for the nation. Uh, and I think that, that helps put it, put it in perspective because that is uh, no, no small figure. And uh, and and you you both are right that that, that the president's uh, um, suggestion that he would veto any spending bill that that adheres to the caps and does not address um, sequestration, um, we're seeing that stymie uh, progress in the Senate. Um, not a single um, appropriates bill has been brought to the floor or, or passed the Senate yet. Um, although the House is, is is slowly plowing through theirs, they've completed six bills and and are scheduled to. Hal Rogers does say that he's going to get through. All of them, by golly, one way or another, and and I believe that that he will. But uh, uh, given this b- bigger picture discussion around uh, sequestration, uh, you know, are should should folks be preparing for another continuing resolution, or or even worse, uh, another government shutdown? What are what are your predictions? I'll go out on a limb and I'll say that they will not enact twelve appropriations bills by September thirtieth, and there will be a continuing resolution that'll fund government until sometime near the end of the year. I think by the time they resolve all this, it'll probably be a lot cooler out. A um, little bit less humid. We might have something to shovel by then. Uh, but, uh, you know, between the appropriations bills, they're not paying enough money in the pie, the public debt limit expiring or the extraordinary mechanisms that can be used to keep the public debt limit going until maybe November, December at this point, I think it's Christmas in Washington. As it always seems to be. And and, and, and I think that's a, an interesting part of this conversation is uh you know, we, we've seen this movie before, and, and we seem to see this movie uh, almost every year these days. Um, and, and I know that, that over the years there have been proposals in Congress to go to a, a biennial budgeting, and, and it seems like every session the, uh, the list of bipartisan co-sponsors to those bills uh, continues to grow and grow. I think um, Leon Panetta had the first bill. Interesting. And then he got out of town. Oh, wow. But, but uh, you know, it, any any chance on on those ever ever becoming law? Does Congress ever get frustrated with its own dysfunction uh, on the appropriations front? I don't know that changes in process will ever be the answer. It does always come down to political will. Mm-hmm. If they can be agreeable, they can agree, and it won't be. You know, you could put a mechanism in place. That's what sequestration was all about. Uh, the but the Congressional Budget Act of 1974. The budget process was again a process to respond to what was a matter of political will. And that's how it will be decided. It won't be a matter of process. Yeah, and I think you see, you know, uh, Congressman Whitman has uh, a couple of procedural bills that he in, he introduced in in this Congress. One of them that if um, the House, you know, if they they hadn't passed a budget by April fifteenth, then uh, members don't get paid. And the other one of if the House hasn't passed all of their appropriations bills 
um, by July 31st that there's no August recess. And, you know, um, the you, you, you applaud the 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 idea and, and you know, you, you wish that more uh, members of Congress would get would get on board with that as hopefully a, a fire under their toes to, to get the job done and to uh, and, and to work. But um, I haven't seen any traction on either of those. Uh, and as, bills. as with sequestration, those are all intended to be, quote, action forcing mechanisms. Right. And it really does come down to will. Um, you could put a gun to their head. Well, we shouldn't go there in the district. Um, but uh, now it'll come down to what happens in November, December. What will the will be? And part of that is the will of the people. You know, once we get to January of next year, a presidential election year, um, big election, you're going to see a lot less legislating, a lot more bumper sticker drafting. So what's going to happen is going to happen by November, December this year. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I think, and, I, and I think that Alan's right. You know, I think that realistically what we're looking at right now on July, um, you know, in the, in the first part of July, realistically, the um, uh, continuing resolution uh, seems to be the the most likely scenario. You know, I think um, Senator McConnell, uh, when Republicans took the Senate back uh, after the the last elections, had uh, you know commented, you know, no more shutdowns, and uh, there were a couple news uh, pieces came out that Senator Reid uh, uh, from Nevada was was talking about that shutdown seems a little more likely now than uh, than uh, than it sounded uh, in, in November of 2014 and we'll, we'll see how the how the how the cards shake I uh, couldn't venture a guess but I'm you know the way things look now I think what Alan outlined is is uh, a very realistic scenario well and to drift back to the process just for a minute you know the whole Senate filibuster of needing 60 votes to proceed mm-hmm. with as many members of the Senate running for president, I don't know that there'll be 60 votes in Washington at any time <laughs> to be able to proceed. Um, plus, you've got a lot of House members now aspiring to the Senate. Tammy Duckworth, Alan Grayson, you know, two or three, Jeff Miller, other House members. Uh, it's going to be a free-for-all. Yep. Well, and I think that's interesting. And, and you had mentioned that we have a few other uh, kind of cliffs that, that, that we're also um, facing down the line, um, not only the, the highway cliff that's at the end of this month, but, but later in the year, the, the debt limit and, and some of these other major milestones that, that, that you know, might be rolled into this one giant massive um, forcing mechanism that will, will finally push uh, Congress over the end. Do you, uh, in our last few minutes here, any... Uh, um, predictions on uh, another grand bargain, um, uh, a la the, the uh, Murray-Ryan deal from 2013? I think there will be a grand bargain. I don't think it'll be called Murray-Ryan. <laughs> uh, you know what it's going to be called? I'll give anyone credit for getting the job done. Um, but, uh, you know, Chairman Murray has now moved on to be ranking member of the Health Committee, and Chairman Ryan is Chairman of Ways and Means, and uh, I think the, there has to be will from both the Hill and from the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue. Um, I do think there has to be a grand bargain or at least some sort of a deal to get us through the fiscal 2016 um, and the election. And then it will really be up to the next president and how we're going to proceed. And I think when Jeb sits down with Congress next year or the year after, we'll get the job done. <laughs> All right. You heard it, heard it here first. That's, that's Alan's prediction for the, the presidential <laughs> election. Uh, Greg, any That last? was Jeb plus six. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Greg, any uh, last last thoughts or, or predictions uh, for for what we we're, we're seeing uh, the rest of the year here? Well, I mean, I, th- I think that we'll we'll see what happened. You know, the in- interior probes was pulled uh, 
earlier this week from the from the floor of the house for you know reasons that you know unrelated to appropriations and i think you see that and it's it's just it's that it's that time of year um and this is the um unfortunately what you see with 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 appropriations and so the fact that uh, like, like we were talking about earlier the fact that the the concerns about the G fund are back in play after a couple of months, sort of a reprieve, you know, that's the sort of silly game that, that, that happens. And, um, you know, we just need to be, to be mindful, uh, about what's happening. You know, I, I think our primary goal and, and I, I think I speak for, um, for all of Fed Postal is first and foremost, playing the defense and protecting, our, our our men and women and their their pay and benefits and the, you know that they've that they've earned and working working to do that and and protecting their their information you know with the the data breach and you know so that's first and foremost what we need to do and the message that we need to take to, to the hill is uh, protecting that and then beyond that whatever we can do uh, proactively to uh to, to score a, a win or two um i think is what we, we want to do but like you guys said there are uh, a number of cliffs and uh, that that are uh, approaching quickly and we really need to be mindful of um and 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 closely monitoring what happens all uh the, the g fund and your listeners are listening today to keep informed and that's probably the most important thing that feds can do whether they're active retired prospective or other keep informed and participate absolutely and 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 on that last note i'll, I'll remind our listeners that with the uh, the august recess coming up uh, many members will be out in your communities uh, hosting town halls forums other events um, let your member of congress know what you think it, it really does make a difference uh, obviously uh, um, fma narf and the other groups uh, in the federal postal coalition um, are going to be out there working for you but but you got to advocate for yourself as well um, thanks so much for, for listening to us today. That's all the time we've got. Um, Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend.